Benji Esch was born December 7, 1997. He was born with cystic fibrosis. And for the first six years of his life, his life was relatively normal. But that disease soon began to take his toll. Cystic fibrosis is a disease that attacks your lungs and your ability to breathe. Besides that daily battle just to breathe, Benji had to deal with uh, medications, numerous hospital stays, and um, this past New Year's, Benji uh, received new donor lungs. He had a, a lung transplant. And you and I can only imagine the, the kind of trauma it would be to go through that and uh, the physical pain as well as the, medic uh, the medication and the discomfort it would be. Uh, only to have his, uh, his liver uh, cause complications and quit working. This past Tuesday, uh, Benji lost his battle and he went home to be with the Lord. His funeral is this afternoon. Fifteen years old, such a tender age. Benji told his mom, he said, I want to live. And why did his life have to be cut short? His receiving those donor lungs so quickly, and them fitting so perfectly, was nothing short of a miracle. But why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God marvelously heal in some situations and work miracles in other situations? He seems to only answer with silence. One of the young cousins in the midst of her grief and anguish and sorrow wrote on Facebook, and I quote, Whenever I see someone who is happy or, or someone who looks at me weird because of my puffy red eyes and my messed up hair, I want to tell them why life sucks. I want them to feel my loss. The loss of many people. I want to scream till they feel the pain. Until everyone in the entire world understands what's going on. What we've lost in this earth and heaven is gained. Welcome to the providence of God. So many questions, and from a human perspective, no matter which angle you come from, they never add up. But I'm so grateful that my God is not threatened with hard questions, nor is he shaken when he is misunderstood. Um... But how much you and I need to understand and know God with our heart. Such a big thing. Welcome back to our study of Romans. Uh, welcome uh, to each of you. I had to uh, I think as Eli's have coming back, I've seen the Robins had come back, and I thought, well, the host, host elders will soon be back as well. So we, we'll enjoy having you back with us. As a pastor, most of you know that I do uh, a lot of teaching. Uh, teaching is one of those things that 
Somehow God is, I don't think I'm that great at it, but I, I think it's something that just the church needs. And uh, one of the things I, I resolved long before I ever became a pastor was that if God ever gave me a platform that the things that would come across, they that it would be accurate, that it would be cut straight no matter whether it hurts us or stings, uh, whether it, is, uh, it supports our heritage or whether it reproves it. You guys would get it straight. And within that, I've also taken the count that Jonathan has introduced in this congregation. It's a sin to bore people with, with scripture, with truth. I agree heartily. So truth is never intended to be stale or to be sterile. It's intended to be brought down to a level where we can touch it, we can feel it, we can, we can handle it. And it's to be real. And I think we've excelled at that. But you know, I've come to understand something. There's such a big difference in understanding truth up here and understanding truth down here. Such a huge difference. Let me illustrate what I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about. If I ask each of you, just one-on-one, describe to me Jesus. I, I'm convinced most of you could give me 50 to 75 facts just like that about Jesus. Why? Because you've been taught, you've been schooled. But what if I ask you, just using your own life this past week, this past month, maybe this past year. Describe for me, Jesus. Don't give me any these or thous. Just, just tell me who Jesus is. You see how I've gone from up here. I've dropped 18 inches to down here. Um, where do you go when you feel threatened? Or insecure? What do you do when, you f- when you're hurt? How do you deal with pain? Where do you go when you feel cheated? Or taken advantage of? You see, I've moved 18 inches from, the, from your head, the place where you archive, you alphabetize, uh, you store all this truth. It's nice and clean because it's filled with truth you've never lived. And I've dropped 18 inches to the place that's it's messy, it's cluttered, uh, a place where there's still lingering doubts, or sometimes fear, a place where some truths are still rejected but it's the place where you really live out of. And today, as uh, as I do, uh, I'm going to be doing some teaching. I'm going to be adding some to your knowledge because uh, there's no blessing in being ignorant. Uh, God uh, often says in his scripture, I would not be ignorant. He's really serious about that. But with that, I also want to do, I want to drop 18 inches. And I want to show you how to take the information on the hard drive and I want to drop it down to your heart. 
Well, if you have your Bible, you can turn to our text in Romans chapter 8. And so when we use the word providence, uh, I want you to help, help you understand what I'm talking about. It really is considering the infinite. It's, it's, we just consider, we don't comprehend it all. I don't proclaim to understand it all, and that yet there's, I really think that it's, it's important that we consider because it really makes a big difference in how we walk. The New Bible Dictionary defines it as this, you can see it on the, on the PowerPoint, the unceasing acti- activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, He upholds His creatures in ordered existence. He guides and governs all events, circumstances, and free acts of angels and men, and directs everything to its, to its appointed goal for his own glory. Now, I don't proclaim to understand how God does that. I, I don't understand how God can sovereignly guide everything and not violate the free will of man, yet he does it. Uh, Consider the infinite. But in everyday language, what does it mean to you and I? Chuck Swindoll in his Living Insights Bible puts it this way. The events of our lives are not ruled by chance or by fate, but by a sovereign God and our loving Lord who works out his plan and purpose in the lives of all of his children. It also speaks of God's gracious provision and care for our daily needs. Now, there are three reasons why we wrestle with the providence of God. We wrestle with God's plan. And uh, we're going to see it first in, in verse 6, Romans 8, 6, is the first reason. Uh, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is, is, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. The first reason we struggle with the providence of God is because we are selfish. Um, it, it isn't very long after we're born, after we learn that mom and dad, th- uh, the words mom and dad, that we also learn the words my, mine, uh, uh, me, we learn, we quickly become selfish. It is, my, it is my sandbox. It is my room. It is my toy. Very quickly, we are creatures who are selfish. Um, and you know, when we enter into something that is, is really a hardship, one of the first questions we ask is, why me, God? Really, what, what, we're, what we're saying, what we're saying is, God, why are you why are you stepping into my way? Um, why are you getting in the way of my pursuit of happiness? There's a second reason. It's found in verse 23. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, if you're a child of God who is really walking with, God, with Christ, one of the things you long for, you long for the moment 
that you're taken off this earth and you're, you're in the presence of Christ and you're removed from sin. No more temptations. You long for the moment when it's, 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 it's finished. But while we wait, there's the temptation to fear. Uh, fear of the unknown. Uh, fear of the unexpected. Fear of persecution. And this fear causes us to wrestle with the sovereignty of God. We wrestle with it. Likewise, in verse 26, is the third reason. It's pride. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That infirmities means weaknesses. That's a real blow to our egos to admit that we really are some very weak and fragile Uh, pride but at the root core of all of these wrestlings is the belief that we cannot trust God in every situation you know every one of you can go back to some situations it looks just like God has left some people hanging Uh, they prayed um, they were perhaps even anointed and God just didn't answer and so there's at the root of that is that is that lie we've embraced. You know, there are some situations where I really need to take care of myself because God just might not do that. So at the root of that, now in verse 28, we are given an amazing promise. This promise in verse 28 rests upon the foundations of verses 29 and 30. And this promise has four parts to it. And I want you to get those four parts. Now look, uh, look at those three words, and we know. I want you to consider those. It doesn't say we hope or we feel or we guess or we imagine. No, it says we know. God's plan or his providence That promise we've received from God is not based on emotions or feelings. Those three words are talking about an unshakable confidence that goes way beyond our feelings or our circumstances. Take death, for instance. I hate death. I remember as a young boy, I'd avoid it if I could. I hate death. And uh, I still do. It's an enemy. I hate the sorrow that it brings. I hate how it severs relationships. I hate death. But you know, when I step into a situation where death is visited, I have this amazing peace, especially when it's a child of God. You know why? Because I know Jesus overcame the power of death. I know that the person whose body that I'm seeing, that one day death will lose its power and every victory that the grave has had, that death has had, will be undone. The graves will be opened. You see, even, does death hurt? Of course it does. There are times when death visits someone really close to us, it just leaves us numb. 
even in the midst of all that pain, there are some golden strands we cling to. And that is that Jesus Christ has victory over death. Secondly, we focus on the immediate, the partial, and God focuses on the ultimate or the whole. If you're anything like me, this is one of my biggest areas of struggle. Notice God doesn't say some things work together or most things work together. He says all things work together. You know, life in in, in some ways is like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, You dump all those pieces out on the paper, and the first thing that goes through your mind is thinking, well, my life isn't long enough for this. And, uh, but first of all, you look for those, those corner pieces, you find those, and then you kind of look for the, the, the pieces that make up the border that have a straight edge to it. You kind of piece those together. But my point is this, if you take just one of those pieces and lift it out, you have to wonder what it is, where it fits, And it really doesn't seem significant. But once that puzzle is together, isn't it amazing how significant that one piece is? You ever ever put a puzzle together that was missing pieces? You just felt like you got ripped off? But do you understand? Do you understand that the things that God takes you through, those very, those incredibly hard things, those are a part of the puzzle? And if that was missing, the puzzle wouldn't be complete? Are you with me? You see, God sees the whole puzzle. He saw it finished from the very beginning. He sees it in its entirety. We only see uh, occasionally we have this one piece. And, and some of the things that we go through, we, we don't see how God, this could be a part of God's puzzle. You see, when God says uh, all things, he includes things most of us wouldn't. He includes cancer, heart attacks, Parkinson's, unfaithfulness, Death, miscarriages, fire, loss of employment, failure, church division, persecution. God includes so many things that would never be a part of our list. And there isn't any of us, as we go through some of those things, we, that doesn't wonder how could God possibly squeeze anything good out of this. That's the reality. We, we're quite human. But you know what? This is what separates the, the infinite from the finite. This is, what, this is the difference between us and God. You see, when God says all things, you can take it to the bank that he really means. I, I, I don't proclaim to understand how God does this. This is something that is way beyond me. 
Uh, but all I know is when God says it, it's good. It, it, it's something that you can just plan on. It, it, it'll happen. Now, do some of those things interrupt our life? Of course they do. But here's, what, here's the third reason, part of this plan, is that that project is God. It is not our plan. And you know, when, when God brings some of those things into our life, does it upset our apple cart? Yes, it does. Because it's not our plan. It's his plan. Um, Ephesians 2.10 says we are not our own workmanship. We are his workmanship. There's a, scripture has a, a, just a, an amazing illustration. God, in fact, God gives this illustration. I'm just going to I just have you look up here. It's in Jeremiah 18. Uh, and uh, God has Jeremiah go to the potter. It says in verse 1, And the word ca- which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Verse 3, And then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. That was the potter. He was watching the potter at work. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as as the clay in the potter's hand is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. You know, this morning, I'd like for you to put Instead of, O house of Israel, I'd like for you to put your name in that. Keith, can I not do with you as, a, as this potter? As the clay in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. Isn't that amazing how it changes those verses when it's you? When you are the clay? Do you realize... Unless that clay is shaped, molded, and tested with fire, it is unusable. Now, it's easy to resist that until you understand the fourth part of this promise. And that is... God's purpose is good, and it is not evil. Notice with me, it does not say it feels good. Nor does it say it seems good. It does not even say it is good. It says it works together for good. There's a big difference there. We are promised that when the puzzle is finished and all the pieces are put together, the end result will be it is good. Okay, are you with me? It does not say that those individual parts are necessarily good. 
But God is taking the entirety. He's seeing it finished. And when it is completed, you know, there's times I imagine as we step, as we stand before God and we see this finished, uh, God complete with our lives. I, I have to imagine that in those moments, we're going to have to say it's good. It's just good. It's good. So there's the promise. That promise is meant to be claimed. It's meant for it to be embraced. Now here's the foundation that it rests upon. God's goal or the purpose of his plan is in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's goal is for everyone to be molded and shaped like Christ. Okay? There are absolutely no exceptions in the family of God. That is God's goal for every one of us. His ultimate goal is that you be molded and that people see Jesus when they see you. Some time ago, one of the individuals I worked with, was, he, was just, he was really off the wall, and you never knew what to expect from him. And there were times that he was just amazing. One of those times that uh, he, he went around as he was working beside people, he just asked, what's your goal in life? What, do you, what are you working towards? And, uh, you know, there were, some had no answers. Some had some good religious cliches. I did. Um, but I, I, I asked him the question then. I said, well, so what's your goal in life? He said, my goal is to be like Jesus, like the Son, because I know that pleases my Heavenly Father. It was one of those answers where you just stopped and, and you just, whoa. And coming from him, it had to be God. <laughs> it was just, it took me off guard. But it was an excellent answer. God's ultimate goal is for all of us to be like Jesus. The goal of everything that God brings into our lives, from the consequences of our choices to the pain or the is the goal, I mean, from the consequences of the choices we make, to everything he brings into life, everything that comes into our life has that goal of making us like Jesus. Can you imagine that? You know, as we walk with Christ, sometimes we make some extremely poor choices and there's, there's, there's really hard consequences that go with it. But God's goal is even to take those times that we choose poorly and to take the consequences and make us like Jesus. Everything. Everything. Notice Donald Barnhouse writes, he says, there, there is no will or act of creatures, of men and angels, or demons that can do other than work for our good. No dog can bark against us. No man can speak or act against us. No sinister plot of evil can be against us, but all must be for our good. 
Every experience of our individual circumstance, whatever concerns us, whatever humbles us or forces us to rely on him, him alone who can satisfy all things work together for good. Otherwise, the Lord will not permit them. You see, it gives you a different perspective when you understand why some of the things that you go through that are so difficult you understand that the goal and purposes of it is for God, is God making you like Jesus. Now that we have the pattern, verse 30 gives us the process. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Just reading it makes it sound like a five-day-old sub sandwich. Dry. But you know there's so much in that verse. Um, That's a wonderful, wonderful verse. There are actually five processes. The first one is in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow. That that knowing isn't just uh, giving an intellectual assent to someone. God studied you. When he created you, God studied you in the... Before you, under, before you existed, God knew you. He studied you. He considered you. And when he considered you, he predestinated you. In advance, he decided in advance, I'm going to make that person like Jesus. And those whom he decided in advance, he also called. And those he called, he also justified or he made righteous. And those he made righteous, he also will glor- he glorified. Do you realize the, the amazing thing about this? They are all in the aorist tense. God sees them already as finished. He sees that puzzle complete. But you know, from our perspective, the puzzle still has a lot of missing pieces. Now, I know this morning that I've given you a lot more information for your hard drive. And uh, how do you get that information from up here to down here? And why is it important that this information gets downloaded from up here to down here? Let me explain why, it's, why this is so, so important. In, in Psalms 103.7, he says, He made known his ways unto Moses but his acts unto the children of God, uh, the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew God up here. Every morning with their five senses, they could pre- comprehend God. Uh, they, they were literally, satu- their lives were saturated with one miracle after another. But to Moses, God made known his ways. Moses knew God down here. There's such a huge difference. It, what, Moses wasn't, I just, I'm reading through Exodus. And you know, Moses wasn't up on the mount but a few days, and the children of Israel got together and decided to make an idol. They said, well, Moses, we're not sure what happened to him. He's probably died up on the mount. And they decided to make an idol. They made a calf and said, this is the one who brought us out of Egypt. In just a few days. But it was because they knew God up here. There's another good example. It's in John 6, 
And let me give you the setting. There's, Jesus has a lot of disciples, way far beyond the 12. And the reason he has a lot of disciples, he's, he's, he's doing quite a few miracles. He's feeding the multitudes. Remember the, the, was it the, the, the fish and the loaves? He's feeding them. I mean, they're getting some good entertainment. They're, they're seeing some miracles that they're just amazing that no one has ever done before. And so Jesus says something that he knows will offend those disciples. He says, unless ye eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, um, how does it say, that he can't be a part of you, that you have no part in him? And it offended most of those disciples. Notice what it says in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Those disciples knew Jesus up here. They knew who he was. Here's my point. If you only know Jesus up here, it isn't going to take much. When that offense comes, you will turn away from Christ. Notice the difference between those disciples and Simon Peter. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter asked him, Lord, to whom will we, shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe, notice this, and are sure thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter knew Jesus down here. There's such a huge difference. Now let me give you the opposite here. Benji Aish had a computer. And the password on that computer was in Christ. You see, even at 12, 13, 14, and 15, as Benji fought for his life, he needed a refuge and he needed a hiding place. Someone to trust to lead him where he had never gone before. Some place where even his parents hadn't gone before or even his grandparents. Benji needed a hiding place. Benji needed someone to lead him. If you look at Psalms 91... Benji discovered in Christ, not just having Jesus, but being within Jesus was that hiding place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise, noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his wings, with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow by the flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth the way at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, and it shall not come nigh to thee. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. 
Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil before thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in thy, all thy ways. Thou shalt bear thee up in his hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, and the young lion and the dragon. Thou shalt, shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will he deliver me, and I will set him on high, because he hath made known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The way you get the truth up here, down here, is time. Time with God. Time making Jesus Christ that secret dwelling place. Spending time in the word of God looking for yourself. There's such an amazing difference in hearing someone repeat something that someone else has said and having someone else say, you know, I've, I've looked myself. That's where I'm at. You have to spend, you have to make Jesus that secret dwelling place. You have to make him that place where you run to in times of trouble. And I mean, those are the things that when you do that, the truth that you've got up here will move on down. And you'll trust God in those times of trouble. There's another scripture I want you to see. Notice in 2 Corinthians 5.15, notice this, it's talking about Jesus. He that died for all that he should live, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and for them and rose again. Now notice this verse. Wherefore henceforth, this is Paul, know we no man after the flesh, yea, we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. Paul is saying there was a time in my life I knew Jesus Christ right up here. But he said, I don't know Jesus Christ like that anymore. I know Jesus Christ down here. He's my life. He's my strength. Um, he's the hope that I have. He's the reason. He's my life source. He's the reason I live. He's my future. He's, he's everything to me. He's my passion, my refuge, my fortress, my deliverer. I know Jesus Christ down here now, not up here. And notice what that does to the next verse. Notice what he says. Therefore, he's telling us his secret hiding place. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You notice how that changes? You see, suffering now has a reason. Hard times have a purpose. Most of all, you and I have someone that we really can trust to walk with us through hard times. We've got a refuge. We've got a hiding place. Let's bow. Father, I'm just uh, grateful this morning again for the word, your word. Lord, thank you for, for giving us a compass that works throughout every season, that it is so sure. A compass that has lasted from generation to generation. 
and has continually led the saints who have used this compass home. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of this compass. It's how simple it is, and yet as we meditate upon it, how the depth that it has. That no, no, no matter how deep you dig, it, 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 there's still more. But Lord, thank you for the promise that hard times will come, but with those hard times, we have the promise that those things will make us more like Jesus. And one day, even those things that we don't understand, that we go through, one day those, those pieces of that puzzle will fit. Thank you, Lord, for, for loving us enough not to leave us as we are, not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for being our God. May you receive the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.